Hey, it's Suzanne. Before we get into the show, I wanted to mention a couple of things. The first is a thank you for all the great responses we got to the Senator Larry Campbell and the Barbara Joe McIntosh episodes. If you haven't listened yet, check them out. They were the perfect way to start season two. The second thing is to keep listening at the end of the show because I've got some podcast recommendations and I want to know what you're listening to these days. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Sunday Night Dinner, a podcast that cooks. I'm Suzanne Hancock. We had a huge breakdown outside of Chicago. Like the van was almost uncontrollable. It was like we could hardly even keep the steering wheel, like keep it on the road. And uh, so we had to stop in Chicago for two days, which was awesome. All of our breakdowns tend to be quite awesome. We ended up doing something that was unplanned and getting to visit a place that maybe we hadn't intended. And it was okay. Live from the Glen Rouge Campground, Canada's first urban national park. In Toronto, Canada. And what's your name? Oh, Julie Gibb. And I'm Christian Morrison. Have you ever thought about selling everything, buying a van, and just traveling? That's exactly what Julie Gibb and Christian Morrison, the stars of folksblogging.com, did four years ago. They sold their house, they sold their letterpress equipment, they were the artists behind Pantry Press, and they designed books and wedding invitations and posters. But they sold all of that, and they bought a Volkswagen van, and they started driving. And that's what I'm doing. I'm driving to see them in a campground in Toronto where they're going to cook Sunday night dinner over an open flame. And I want to know both the why and the how, why they chose to make their van their home, and how they do it. How do they cook on the road? What do they cook on the road? What's Sunday night dinner like on the road? And here it is, Glen Rouge. And I'm looking for, I'm looking for campsite number 34. Going from some of the busiest roads in the country to this in about three minutes. Amazing. Before I saw the campsite number, I saw Julie and Christian's bright green van. They had a string of colored camp flags strung between the van and a pole. They had a rug on the ground, a table set with a green and white tablecloth, a portable sheet of solar panels, and a fire burning beside a river. It was homier than a lot of homes I've been to. They bought a small place recently in the west end of Toronto, but I'm not sure how long that's gonna last. Home for them is the van, and their living room is the great outdoors. What Julie and I did uh, four years ago now uh, was we sold our home and our studio and all of our printing equipment um, and bought the van and took off. And it wasn't, there was no big plan. There was no grand scheme. It wasn't a bucket list. It wasn't, it wasn't part of a a lifelong dream to have a Volkswagen van and travel the world or whatever (laughs) and uh, it it just became sort of a great thing to do this is a 1990 vanagon westphalia by uh, bw and it's got a it's got a two burner stove a little tiny sink i can show you um yeah don't don't just 
take my word for it. <laughs> it's got a little teeny weeny sink and it actually can, you can run the water and it'll go into the sink. It's really neat. Cool. The propane is fairly delicate. It, 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 makes a, it makes a nice flame, but it's really hard to boil water on. And the sink drains right onto the ground okay. if you don't put a, a bin under it to catch the water. And that used to be the fridge and we've converted it into a closet or a cupboard Normally uh, it's a full pantry. Yeah. When we're traveling full time. Full time. We'll be and we full keep of all of our dry goods in here. And we also keep them in these bins here. So Volkswagen, sorry for the squeak, uh, Volkswagen makes lots of storage possible. So we store food in these bins too. And then all kinds of other stuff here and in the back. And all of our plates and glasses and coffee makers and all of that up here. And this converts into a bed where we sleep, but this also converts into a bed. It folds out, so you could have, um, you, we tell people they could stay in our penthouse yeah. if they'd like to be our house guests. So how many square feet? 80 square feet. 80 square feet, okay. Roughly, I mean, that's what, that's the lore. Yeah. 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 I, we don't consider we it 80. the fridge that was here yeah. with this, which is the Indel B uh, truck fridge, and so it never lets us down. We spent a fortune in the first year on ice, it's the kind of fridge that tr truckers have, and it's a it's a bin. So this is really the refrigerated area. It's about 47 liters, and this area back here is just cool, which is great for you know tempering things or whatever. And so we can keep everything in here below four degrees, even when it's 40 degrees in this van, which it we have no frequently in here. is. Mm -hmm. But it's it's one of the hottest days of the year, and it's quite cool here. Yeah. It is. It's really nice. It, it is. It feels, you know, even with a fire going and... Yeah. 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 Yep. No, we were comfortable in the night. Um, pleasant sleeping. We could even hear the river kind of babbling over those rocks there. It was nice. And the raccoons checking out the <laughs> two empty Corona bottles. <laughs> they love Corona. They do. They do. <laughs> Not when it's empty, though. Anyway, we have yeah. everything we need. We realized pretty quickly once we hit the road that there's very little that we don't need yeah. in here. Yeah. You know, we had a storage locker full of our belongings and we never thought about it for a few years. <laughs> Isn't that always the case? You yeah. put something away and you just realize that you don't need it. Yeah, gone and not really used or wished for anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we do like having a real kitchen, but... Um, we're pretty happy cooking outside, too. Yeah. And that's what they did. They prepared an amazing Sunday night dinner over an open fire, and I think it's true. Things do taste better when they're cooked outside. It's not always easy, but they're total pros, and showed me what beautiful food can be made with great ingredients, fire, and practice. They've seen and tasted everything this continent has to offer in terms of food. There's a map showing all the places they've traveled to on their captivating blog, which you can find at folksblogging.com. So we're making you a Sunday dinner of steak from Cumbres in Toronto. Apparently they're very good, <laughs> as, as are their uh, rapini and um, parmesan uh, sausages. And we're going to grill oyster mushrooms and shiitakes along with uh, broccoli rabe and kale so it's it's going to be it's actually i would say it's a 50 50 meal of meat and vegetables we would 
generally we wouldn't eat meat on the road unless it's really amazing. Unless we know where it comes from. Right. And the, so the, we know Cumbrae's. So the, the Cumbrae's meat is amazing. And, uh, and then, yeah, we're just excited to try grilling some vegetables that aren't typically grilled, like leaf vegetables. So what we're going to do is we're going to grill uh, the mushrooms and the vegetables together first, now that the fire's down to a nice red ember. And after that, we'll take that off and we'll uh, grill the meat. And then if we have to reheat anything while the meat is resting, uh, we can do that. So not very fancy, but... Do you have tips for cooking over fire? Uh, yeah, don't use, like, don't let it be a full flame, like a raging fire, because it'll just burn on the outside and won't be cooked on the inside. Um, and it's easier said than done. You've got to sort of get a big pile of wood going, I mean, basically a whole bag of uh, firewood. But we also travel with a little whisper light, um, you know, backpacking stove, and this butane stove. So we have the propane, we have the little whisper light, we have the butane... We have lots of ways to cook. You have choice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And just in case, you know, it's depending on the situation, we change. After we grill the um, mushrooms, uh, we're going to uh, put them in a pan with some butter, melted butter, and just give them a little, you know, I don't know, saute. How has your idea of home changed oh. since you started this amazing adventure? We, you know, we've, we've sort of been wrestling with it. Every time we go through uh, a section of life, you know, living our life, uh, the, uh, we, we, we see something means more to us or less to us. Um, but, you know, we want it to be around our kids um, uh, and our Julie's sister and Julie's father, who's living in, uh, in a re uh, retirement home. So, you know, Home is all of those things, plus it's supposed to be a physical place. Um, and for us, we love the, we just love having a really big living room made out of nature. So sometimes we feel really constrained. I think lately we've been feeling more constrained than anything else by, by this idea of home. That it's, it, you know, you're supposed to have a home, you're supposed to have a mailing address. If you don't have a mailing address, you can't even have a, a driver's license. Or insurance. Or insurance. Uh, well, taxes or anything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I guess we've reprioritized what's important to us. And it's not necessarily being in one place. I think now we're just, we want to always explore and see new places and be outside. Being inside is very, very hard for us now. We prefer living outside. And so we, our new home base in Toronto is a small apartment that has no access to the outdoors. It's across the street from High Park, but it's not like we could just go through a door and sit outside and eat or cook or entertain. And uh, the outdoors is more important to us and beauty. Um, we just, like even here, we're pretty happy just looking at this river running alongside of our campsite and yeah. all of the trees. It's gorgeous. You know, so, I mean, we've had campsites on the St. Lawrence where we're just the only people on a beach looking out at the St. Lawrence for $15 a night and, you know, eating fresh caught lobster. And we're thinking, why <laughs> aren't we doing this all the time? Yeah. Like, why yeah. would we stop? We're really reevaluating 
the where because we always considered Toronto home and ourselves city people and maybe we're imagining ourselves less as city people now than we ever have been. Yeah. We took a sabbatical in 2013 and uh, we went to places like Peru where people, I mean we were high in the Andes hiking and the people live with a dirt floor all in one room no electricity, no running water. And we started thinking back to our three-story house and studio and yard for two people and thinking, it's sort of gross how much we have. And maybe we don't really appreciate it either. And so we do, I think after this time on the road, we appreciate water, number one, more than we ever have. And access to a, a bathroom with a shower and a toilet and a clean one and uh, we think it's good for us to be a little uncomfortable because I think we appreciate the things that we had probably more than we did when we had them so it's not a bad thing but it was probably last year that we realized exactly the things that we miss which were community a supportive creative community specifically and um, a space in which to create because we're makers we've always been makers and we missed making we can kind of make in this little place but we really we really loved our studio uh, not just because it had letterpress equipment in it but just that it was a place for us to create so maybe the answer for us is living in a place that's a little more wild and yeah. with uh, closer access to nature and um, with a place to make again. So we have no idea where that is. Right, right. <laughs> but the van works for us now for yeah. being able to leave the city and having access to nature even if we're still in Toronto like we are today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Home isn't what we thought it was. It's not necessarily a, a house and a city. Home, really, I mean, we thought right away when we started traveling in this that, I mean, it feels like home. This van feels like home. We decorated it a little bit the way we wanted it to be, and we're comfortable, we have everything we need, so isn't that home? Because home is really about comfort and safety and having all these, being together, eating good food wherever you go. So the van, the van is home, but it's maybe not enough, like long-term. It's been enough for this few years. Four years, and, yeah. yeah. So we have the beautiful greens here. Yeah. Nice long kale and just the, just the broccolettes of the rapini. What are you doing I'm there? Just, I'm putting some olive oil on this. Extra virgin. Extra virgin olive oil. I think it'll be nice on the grill with a little olive oil, and then we'll just put some salt. We got some really nice salt uh, last weekend from a chef we know, um, Kevin McKenna, and it's his own kind of combination. It has juniper and coriander and, oh, an actual leaf from the above. Okay. That's okay. I think it needs more. Or? Oh, that's feeling pretty there. Oh. Yeah. 
start grill the, grilling the leaves from overhead. Okay, yeah. that's right. good. The risks of cooking outside. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Leaves in your and leaves. Leaves or bugs in your leaves are good I'll too. Put but salt on it later. Yeah. All right, so Christian's taking it over to the fire. <laughs> Expertly laid fire. Um, so this fire was in a, a teepee, and it's still burning. Like, it's, it's fantastic. It, oak. <laughs> okay, can't get over the oak part. Anyway, I knocked it all down um, so that it's more or less one level. Then I put this little uh, Canadian tire uh, uh, grill over it, which is delightful. And yeah, just gonna arrange these. I was gonna do it all organized, but Julie's uh, mixed them all up. So I'll do the repeat, try to do the rapini in one section and the, uh, just cause they might have a different cooking rate. And laying them out. I also may not be able to cook them all. But yeah, just like that. And they, you hear them sizzling a little bit. The fire is really hot, yeah, so. Gonna try turning these. Oh yeah. Oh, one's in the fire. But this Those is, look great. Yeah, that's not beautiful. bad. I mean, that's gonna cook fast. Yeah. Some some of it's over the flamey bits. So Julie, tell me what you're doing with the mushrooms. I'm just uh, grilling them, trying to. I'm hoping that they there's some color here, and they get uh, they get a little bit of the smoky flavor from the fire. And then we'll just finish them in some butter in a cast iron frying pan over on the butane stove. And the steak looks good. The yeah. sausages look like they're coming along too. I think we could add the mushrooms probably to a pan now, don't you think? For some people, not all obviously, but for some people Sunday night dinner is sort of that most kind of homey meal. It's where everyone gets together and do you ever sort of miss that or, or desire that in a way that you can't get on the road? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that we miss. We miss community. And um, although we meet lots of fantastic people on the road who we've uh, formed friendships and met again, whether by plan or by accident. And sometimes we share meals with people that we meet on the road, um, which is really great we missed that you know we we always make a point of like we always make a meal or meals we start with I mean people we've been to campgrounds where people comment on that because we always set up a small table with a tablecloth and we use our tin plates and cutlery and napkins and um, we've had people come up to us and they say we're we like your van you know because we always get lots of attention because of the Volkswagen van but <laughs> We're more impressed green. with that you guys are sitting and eating with cutlery at a table <laughs> with napkins. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's funny when people make comments like that because, I mean, in some ways, yeah, we don't eat any differently on the road than we do at home. You know, it's still sit down with cutlery. <laughs> we cook a meal together. I mean, we cook together at home, too. So... I think it's... Partly this, uh, I think it's partly the sense of uh, occasion, you know, and eating at the end of a day or middle of the day, whenever we do it, uh, it's, um, it's occasion, 
and it's how how you can mark certain days you know as you go along because sometimes driving across you know the, the, the United States it can be a little homogenous and so then you go oh well I remember when we you know we roasted off that duck leg from wherever or you know just sort of that thing what was your experience with Sunday dinner growing up did you have any kind of any kind of Sunday ritual? I did. My family is Serbian, and my grandma would make a homemade soup, either usually with beef short ribs. And so she'd start it early on Sunday morning, and whoever, so there were 13 grandchildren, and you know, she had four children, and she only had enough soup for so many, maybe 10. So you had to be the first at her house to be able to have Sunday soup. And so our family was always there. <laughs> but our family was there without fail because we loved my grandma's soup. So she'd make this beautiful broth soup with her homemade noodles, which were hand cut. And then uh, she would use the carrots, potatoes, beef, and we'd have the boiled dinner following the soup. And she made this tomato dill sauce that we would put on the vegetables and the meat. And we just, look forward to that every Sunday. And then my other grandparents lived in the same house as us, but upstairs, and that grandma would make a beautiful Sunday dinner every week. So we would go from the lunch at one grandma to the other grandmother, and she was an awesome cook. She, was, she fried fish better than anyone I know, and my grandfather would catch it. And then she'd cook things like rabbit and muskrat, which I didn't like, and um, chicken feet. I know she, I don't know where she learned from her mother-in-law and she was orphaned at a young age. So she learned from people that she lived with when she grew up in the mitten of Michigan. Oh, so Sundays were all about Sundays family Sundays were all yeah. about family and all about food. Yeah. What about you, Christian? Oh, my, my Sunday dinners were very atmospheric. <laughs> Oh, my parents were pretty eccentric um, in many ways. My mother more than my dad. And, you know, they, but the, the thing is they did do, uh, they did work in the kitchen together, which is nice, on Sunday. And a typical Sunday dinner might be um, like a roast beef, like a pot roast kind of thing. And then we would sit in the big uh, dining room at their house. They had a, a, you know, sort of massive stone house in the Ottawa Valley that was built by um, uh, the Wiley family, and they were milliners. Uh, so they had a, the, the mills in Almont, Ontario, where I grew up. I was born in Ottawa, my dad was born in Toronto, and my mom was born in Montclair, New Jersey. So it was sort of like this strange confluence. We ended up, my mom always referred to us as the Adams family. <laughs> And loved loved things like when, uh, uh, when 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 the roast wasn't quite perfect. You know, she'd say that this is very Adamsy. <laughs> yeah. So. And did you look forward to it? Was it something? Yeah, that you really liked? did. Yeah, yeah. I loved being fed, because the rest of the time it was like you know, scrounging the cat food and. <laughs> very Adamsy. <laughs> it was pretty creepy. <laughs> Has, has your relationship to food changed since you started living on the road? Uh, no, because we, it was our goal from the minute we hit the road to always eat well. 
We didn't want to just succumb to stopping at a fast food place and eating unhealthy food. And so we always source local food wherever we are. And so our diet changes because we're eating whatever is local to the place that we're in. There are some food deserts out there in North America. But like we, where? Uh, a lot of Canada. <laughs> Like, uh, when we were driving across uh, northern, northern Ontario and northern Manitoba and northern Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan. <laughs> um, it's I mean, if we could find a farmer's market and if you're traveling in the summer, yeah. it's a little bit it's easier. easier yeah. But we were in Quebec. We were traveling along the Gas Bay in June the, in 2014, and we had a really hard time finding a fresh vegetable. And... That was really disappointing, which is probably why we rushed through that part of the province. And uh, we were so happy we got to Mastown Market in Nova Scotia, which is sort of as you enter Nova Scotia, the first big market. And they had fresh carrots and peas and oysters and we just uh, spinach. I don't. We bought all kinds of fresh vegetables and uh, fresh oysters, and we went to a campsite outside of Halifax that night. We were so happy. So it's all about timing. Sometimes it's not just that it's a food desert. In 2015, we were heading west. Our friends, uh, Michael and Novio Statlander, they have an organic garden on their farm, and they stocked us up. And so we were actually good until we got to Winnipeg. Julie and Christian have always been interested in the politics of food. And so have Michael and Nobio Statlander, owners of Eigenson Farm in Singhampton, Ontario, one of Canada's most celebrated and revolutionary restaurants. In 2008, they all partnered up, along with Chef Michael Dixon, to create the Canadian Chefs' Congress. Well, the Chefs' Congress was a, was a biennial gathering of anybody in the, in the food industry. From We wanted to include foragers and uh, hunters and fishers. Gardeners. Gardeners, front of house, back of house, chefs. And um, we'd get everybody together. We would camp outside um, in a different province or territory every two years. And um, the idea was to get people talking about um, not only food culture in Canada, but also talking about uh, where their food comes from and um, the risks of foods that are genetically modified or food growing areas that are, are threatened by industrial uh, practices like uh, mega quarries. The Congress isn't active at the moment, as Julie and Christian are directing their focus into other creative projects. We've started um, working on art projects and uh, uh, sort of experimenting with things like the, the, the uh, camping yes, yeah. bikes, yeah. Yeah. Um, or a video installation, or a, a, a physical installation sort of based on the, on the van, and trying to sort of create our own narrative out of it and so people say oh well it must be great you can just work out of your van but it's hard I don't it's harder maybe for Julie than it is for me I think I I don't mind sitting in the van with a laptop on my on my knee video projectors and electricity and the internet are all part of making our work now and we can't always have them wherever we are you know they take up a lot of room for one thing and i'll get some dijon and some uh, maple syrup to add to the salad dressing 
maple syrup. Well, you probably use maple syrup in your salad dressing, right? Sometimes. Yeah, yeah it makes a nice balance, but it also helps bind the oil and the uh, mustard together. Tip. Tip. <laughs> so tell me what, what's in there again, Julie. I have, I cut up half a shallot and uh, some red wine vinegar, some olive oil, Dijon, maple syrup, salt and pepper. And I've washed up some uh, green leaf lettuce and some radicchio and we'll make a little salad on the side. And I'm putting Chef Kevin McKenna's finishing salt on here. So it and has just fennel, coriander, and juniper in it. Do you think it needs a little more olive oil or is it okay? I think it's okay. Let's let me, taste it. Let me put this here. Good though. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. so. It smells good. That's it. There's a really cute girl over there that's playing with that whistle. She uh, she did a cartwheel in front of me and I said, are you in uh, are you in gymnastics? And she said, no, I'm in a bathing suit. <laughs> <laughs> Campsite jokes. Yeah. From all ages. The girl with the whistle played while we ate. The Cumbrae steak and sausages, kale, rapini, and mushrooms, all grilled over the fire, and a big salad with Julie's salad dressing. And then Christian went back to something he mentioned earlier in our conversation. We're hoping if we have enough heat, and I can always run and grab more firewood, um, to show you how to uh, make a really good s'more. A cheap and cheerful s'more. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, a cheat and cheerful. Oh. We're gonna do the secret s'mores. Oh, Julie's <laughs> wait. So you can, um, at the end of your cooking over an open fire, if you've still got some embers, you can warm up a, a you know, a, a marshmallow like you would over the fire. And the secret to these s'mores is that you get the digestive cookies that are covered with milk chocolate. Or dark. Or dark chocolate, which I prefer, but I was acquiescing to Julie's milk chocolate desires <laughs> um, and uh, so you heat the marshmallow melt it and then you put it in between two the chocolate sides of two digestive cookies with uh, that is it's so just smart. fantastic with okay, the chocolate the important part that that smart. Smart. oh okay. and the, oh. yep if if your if your fire has uh, stones around it that's the biggest trick is you can just rest the the digestives on this around the the ring the fire ring if there are stones okay. and they'll melt nicely and then when you do your when you do your marshmallow sandwiching trick and we can't remember who taught us that but it was the perfect uh, suggestion we can't even credit the person yeah that's awful well, I'm looking at the fire, but there isn't even a bit of, <laughs> like, a, a, a thing just fell over. It's, it's like, out. I'm oh, out. I'm out, like, well, that's out okay. like a light. That's okay. It's been burning since 11.30, and it's now 2.30. So the s'mores didn't happen, and soon after, I left Julie and Christian to their river and their bright green van. I'm not going to force a conclusion onto something that has no conclusion. They embrace the open road with all its uncertainty, and they keep traveling with just as many questions as answers. The one thing they do know is they love food and friendship, and I got to share both with them. And they also love to laugh. 
And I'm Christian Morrison. <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it. You're not Julia Child. Oh, okay. Okay, what's your name? Christian Morrison. Julie Gibb. Huge thanks to Julie and Christian for introducing me to Glen Rouge and for cooking an absolutely delicious Sunday night dinner. Check out their travels and their musings at folksbloggen.com. That's B-L-O-G-E-N. They have some very cool installations in the works, and you can follow them on Instagram and Facebook at the same handle or at pantry underscore press. And you can follow us on Instagram at podcast Sunday Night Dinner or on Facebook or Twitter, and you can find all of those links on our website, sundaynightdinnerpodcast.com. I'm curious, which podcasts are you loving these days? I've been listening to the food podcast hosted by Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Lindsay interviews a wide range of fascinating people from food photographer Beth Kirby of the blog Local Milk to the revolutionary cookbook author Julia Tertian. They share stories, personal stories, told through their relationship to food. Lindsay produces the show in Halifax. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or listen from her site, lindsaycameronwilson.ca. Highly recommend it. I've also been listening to Our Fake History, hosted by Sebastian Major. He's another awesome storyteller, and his show looks into myths people think are history and history that might be hidden in myths. He's sort of a historical detective, and it's really fun and enlightening. He's at OurFakeHistory.com. Also, I wanted to mention the name of that salt that Julie and Christian used because it was so good. It came from South Pond, which is a farm in the Kawartha Lakes in Ontario. And it's the Trinity Blend by Chef Kevin McKenna. All right, Sunday Night Dinner is produced by Suzanne Hancock. Music by the always awesome J.J. Ibsen. See you soon.